0: Hanukkah, this is the story of the Jewish people. It's the middle of the winter. This year it's early, but usually it's the end of December. The coldest part of the year, the longest night. It's dark, it's cold. And the little light, this represents the Jew. You know, it's so heartwarming. You see that this little candle. Has overcome darkness and the Jewish people have overcome adversity and the flame is inextinguishable. We're still here, <laughs> we're still lighting up the night. That's our story. Each and every night we increase, we light an, an additional light. First night one light, the second night two nights, two lights, the third night until the eighth. And this goes contrary to, to nature because by nature, the older a person gets, the more jaded we become. <laughs> we've seen it all, we've been around the block. The miracle of Hanukkah is that with each passing day, the light becomes brighter. We become more innocent, pure, younger, holier. <laughs> the exact opposite, reverse of the natural way of things, the natural order of things. Because the older a Jew gets, the younger we get. The more we realize how little we know, the closer we get to Hashem, who's infinite. And the more you realize how, how far we have to go, and if anything, it just makes you even younger and younger. The Jewish people are 3,800 years old, and we haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. We haven't lost any of our vigor, our energy, so this is the miracle of Hanukkah this is the miracle of the Jew Hanukkah is unique because we find something we don't find in any other mitzvah in the entire Torah in the whole Jewish way of life we find something in Hanukkah we don't find anywhere else we have 613 mitzvot biblical mitzvot then we have rabbinic mitzvot and we have two ways of doing the mitzvah you can do the mitzvah, fulfill your obligation but then there's a concept called mahadrin, mahadrin means you beautify the mitzvah you can have a Torah, you can have a beautiful Torah you can have a tefillin, you can have a beautiful tefillin like a designer suit, and there's no limit to the amount you can beautify the Talmud says that Rabbi Gamliel bought an esrog for a thousand dollars an esrog. the holiday of Sukkot from the lemon family it's not a lemon, it's an esrog. Thousand dollars. <laughs> the movie, the movie right. So, no matter to what extent you go to beautify the mitzvah, it all fits into the category of going beyond the letter of the law. You do the mitzvah. You don't just do it fulfill an obligation. You do it with your whole heart and soul. That's the idea of hider mitzvah, to beautify the mitzvah. When it comes to Hanukkah, we find. A third category, and that is beauty of beauty. What is the mitzvah of Hanukkah? The mitzvah of Hanukkah is, you have to light a candle. To commemorate the miracle of the candles in the temple, you have to light a candle. That's the mitzvah. If you want to beautify the mitzvah, you light a candle for every member in the household. And give gives an example. Let's say there are ten members in the household, eight children, two parents. So you light ten candles. Not one candle. You light ten candles. One for each member of the house. If you really want to beautify the mitzvah, mahadrin, mina mahadrin, the first night you light one candle, the second night you light two candles, the third night you light three candles. There's an argument between Maimonides and Taisvahs. According to Maimonides, the beauty of beauty continues where the beautification of the mitzvah left off. The beautification of the mitzvah is to light ten candles, one for each member of the household. So if you want to really beautify the mitzvah, go beyond beauty, beauty of beauty, and mahadram, then the first night you light ten candles, the second night you light twenty. Each night you increase one for every member of the household. Until the eighth night you light eighty candles. The Yisraeli says No that the beauty of beauty refers to the essential mitzvah. The essential mitzvah is you light one candle, so the second night you light two, and the third night you light three, and four. We do a variation because we, yes, you light one, two, three, four, five, but our custom is basically everyone in the household lights their own menorah. Instead of lighting one for the whole household, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. As Taisa says, we actually, turns out that we do follow <laughs> Maimonides because we actually, every member in the household lights, lights, lights the menorah. So if there's ten members in the household, you may end up lighting 80 in the end. All the rest of the mitzvot, the majority of people, do the basic mitzvah. A handful of people go beyond the letter of the law and do it in a beautiful way. But not everyone. When it comes to Hanukkah, every last Jew, as a matter of fact, most Jews are not even familiar that there is a way to do the mitzvah, basically, just to fulfill the mitzvah by lighting one candle. Not even aware of it. Because everyone knows a Hanukkah? What's a Hanukkah? The first night you light one, second night you light two, and the third night you light three, etc. So here, every single Jew in the world fulfills the mitzvah in a beautiful way. And not just in a beautiful way, beauty of beauty. So firstly, we don't find this category in any other mitzvah. And that every last Jew in the world should fulfill the mitzvah in the most beautiful way possible. Why? Why is that? Why do we keep Hanukkah? What are we commemorating? The miracle of when they reconquered Jerusalem and they expelled the Greeks and they purified the temple and the Greeks had contaminated all the oil that was found in the temple. They didn't destroy the oil, they contaminated it. So they couldn't fulfill the mitzvah of lighting the candelabra. Cuz it would take them time till they would purify till they would go and find the olives and then bring them back, it would take it would take eight days. All they found was a jar of oil that was enough, that was sealed with the seal of the high priest. It was overlooked by the Greeks, and it was only enough to light one night, and miraculously it lit for eight eight nights. That's why we commemorate, we celebrate the miracle of of the of the lightning. Now In Jewish law, Jewish law states that what if all the priests are impure, all the oil is impure, and you have an obligation, a daily obligation to light the candelabra every evening. So Jewish law states that you go ahead and light the candelabra even in a state of impurity. The mitzvah supersedes the impurity. You have to do the mitzvah. You have to light the candelabra every single day. If everyone is impure, so what? So go ahead and, and light it in a state of impurity. It doesn't stop you. It's not a deal breaker. So the truth is, how there was no need for them to have this miracle. They could have lit the menorah even if it was impure. And we know that God doesn't make a miracle for no reason. If God doesn't have to, He doesn't like to perform miracles. He created the world of nature for a reason. He wants everything in this world to be natural it's when there is no choice you have no choice the Jewish people were checkmated so he made the splitting of the sea he made the miracle the Jews were able to cross the sea but otherwise you know God is not trying to show off or be a magician or just God created the world of nature that's the whole purpose God wanted the world and everything to operate in a natural way so the question is why did God perform a miracle? this was the first time in Jewish history that God performed a miracle and it wasn't even necessary up until that point every time there was a miracle Jewish people were stuck, were checkmated they were desperate, they had no choice and the miracle came and rescued them here there was no need for this miracle. so we celebrate a holiday for a miracle and there was absolutely no need for this why? Why would God perform a miracle when it wasn't necessary? But the Torah teaches us that God is interactive. God responds to us. The whole miracle of Hanukkah came about in response to the heroism and the courage of the Jews. A handful handful of Jews, led by the Hashmanayah, stood up and fought against the Greeks. Were ready to sacrifice their life for their Jewish. When they were given the choice to succumb, to become Hellenized, to bow down to the idol, they would rather give up their life than deny their Jewish and assimilate and become hellish. It was a handful of stubborn Jews, troublemakers, who single-handedly stood up to the world's superpower. You know, the Torah says that life is the holiest thing. You treat life as Satan. You have to violate the whole Torah just in order to sustain life, even for a moment. Eat on Yom Kippur, eat non-kosher, if life is at stake, if his life is in danger, you're allowed to desecrate Shabbat, you're allowed to violate the entire Torah in order to sustain life. We Jews celebrate life. We are fanatical about life. It's been inculcated into every one of us from when we were children. For the last 3,800 years, you save one life, you save the world. Life is holy. There are three exceptions. That a Jew has to give up his life rather than then violate these three sins. One is adultery. Even at the threat of death, a person should rather die than commit adultery. Murder. Third thing is idolatry. Idol. Yeah, idolatry. To bow down to an idol. A Jew would rather die rather than bow down to the idol. It's not something that's logical. It's not even logical according to the logic of Torah. But this really gets to the essence of what a Jew is all about. A Jew's relationship to God... Judaism is not religion. It's not religion. It's much deeper than religion. It's a marriage. A Jew is married to God. Every fiber of your being and every bone in your back. So it's like telling a spouse, you know... Be unfaithful to your spouse. Just once. Just for a moment. Is that an option? But it's only a moment. It's only external, superficial. It's not a question of calculation. Not calculation. Is it worth it? Not worth it. Does it make sense? Is, is it logical? It's, it touches a place that's deeper than logic and deeper than. It touches something that touches your very core and essence. I am married to God. I can't be unfaithful. It's not even an option not even externally not even superficially not even for one split second I would rather die and give up my life this is not a life if I'm disconnected, if I'm unfaithful then it's not a life that is death to bow down to the idol for a Jew that is death to remain connected to Hashem that is life my marriage is whole, my marriage is intact that's some place sacred that's some place it's inviolable I can't touch that place this really expresses the essence the holiness of it where did we see this in Jewish history? during the story of Hanukkah the story of Hanukkah the Jewish people showed their dedication and their connection to Hashem that they were married to God and therefore it wasn't even a question of logic it made absolutely no sense that a handful of people should take on the world's mightiest superpower it was suicidal there's no obligation it doesn't say anywhere in the code of Jewish law even in the laws of idolatry yes you don't have to bow down to the idol but where does it say you have to go to war and it it seems like a hopeless battle because it was a complete miracle that a handful of guerrillas subdued the world's superpower. It was nothing short of a miracle. A miracle of miracles. And yet, they took on. Because they it wasn't a calculation. This was the whole point. It's not a question of obligation, not obligation. When you're touching the essence of a Jew's connection to God, my marriage... There are no calculations. It's it's not even an option. I can't be disconnected, even for a moment, even for a split second, even externally. That's how deep and profound is a Jew's connection to God. And therefore, God responded in kind, since the Jew went way beyond obligation, no obligation a Jew revealed the core and essence of his relationship with Hashem. Therefore, Hashem responded in kind and performed a miracle that was also completely unnecessary. There was no need for this miracle. Because God wanted them to fulfill the mitzvah of lighting the candelabra in the holiest way possible, in the purest way possible. Yes, technically it was okay. They could have lit with the oil that was impure. But just like they went beyond obligation, no obligation, they went beyond the letter of the law, Hashem also in turn revealed to them and showed them a miracle that was totally, completely unnecessary. Just like what they did was un- unnecessary, uncalled for, unnecessary. And yet it came from the very core in essence. So Hashem also revealed to us His very core in essence and revealed to us and showed us a miracle that was completely unnecessary. And it was a very unbelievable miracle. It wasn't just a miracle that one, that the candle, the menorah, remained lit for eight days. Because the commentaries asked the question, why do we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days? The miracle was only seven days. It says they had enough oil for one night. So the miracle was that it lasted another seven days. But well, why do we celebrate eight days? The first day was no miracle. The first day they had oil for one night. So I have a book upstairs in my house that gives hundreds of answers <laughs> to this single question. <laughs> Just to give you a taste of the Jewish scholarship, of Jewish learning, of the Jewish mind. So the problem with all these answers is in Jewish law, is that you have to light the menorah, the candelabra, with natural oil. Not miraculous oil. It to be natural oil. The only way for you to fulfill the obligation is by taking natural oil that burns, and then you fulfill the obligation. So if they use miraculous oil, the question is, how did they fulfill their obligation? Whatever explains, the miracle that happened was a paradoxical type of miracle. It was like squaring the surface. It burned, and yet it didn't burn at the same time. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this idea because it's a paradox. How do you square a circle? It's impossible. Like a, like a modern physicist, when you go deeper into the atom, the electromagnetic level of radiation, you discover a paradox. It's particles and it's waves simultaneously. It can't be both. It's one or the other. And yet it's both at the same time. The mind can't conceive it, but that's exactly, but that's reality. Reality is, it's paradoxical. It squares the circle. So only God could perform such a miracle, the ultimate miracle. It's a paradox. It was natural oil, and it burned naturally, and at the same time, it wasn't consumed. It didn't burn. So this was the ultimate, ultimate type of miracle. And this is the difference between, you have these three categories. You have a mitzvah, you have the beautification of a mitzvah, and then you have beauty of beauty. You have nature, you have miracles, and then you have a miracle within a miracle. The paradox, it's miraculous and natural simultaneously. you have obligation a Jew does fulfills his obligation then you have when a Jew goes beyond the letter of the law not only fulfills his obligation but he also follows the spirit of the law he's spirited he serves God with love with feeling and therefore he doesn't just do the mitzvah he doesn't just do the beer minimum it's not like paying income taxes you just pay your beer minimum your obligation you do the mitzvah in a beautiful way the most beautiful way possible Then you have the essence of the Jew, the core of the Jew. The core of the Jew, when a Jew feels that he's married to God, it's not religion, it's not mysticism, it's not religion, it's something much deeper. It touches your essence. Every fiber of your being and every bone in your body is so connected that you can't even be disconnected, even for a split second, even only externally, even only superficially. It's not an option. And therefore, a Jew is ready to go not only beyond the letter of the law, a Jew is ready to do something that seems completely illogical, ready to give up your life rather than bow down to the idol. Which explains why this is the only mitzvah in the Torah that the Torah does not give a reason. When the Torah says in the book of Leviticus that I will be sanctified amongst the Jewish people, which refers to the mitzvah that a Jew is ready to give up his life rather than bow down to the idol, showing how how dedicated and devoted the Jew is to God. He's ready to martyr himself rather than bow down to the island. The Torah doesn't tell it to us by way of commandment. The Torah tells it to us by way of like a story, a fact, matter of fact. The Torah says, V'nikdashdi besoch Israel. Yisrael. nigdashti means, I will be sanctified. He doesn't say it by way of like commandment. You should sanctify me he says matter-of-factly I will be sanctified amongst the Jewish people the Jew will rather give up his life so dedicated and devoted that he's ready to martyr himself rather than deny his relationship and, his relationship. and the reason is because the Torah can't give a reason the Torah can't say it by way of command because it doesn't even make sense by the logic of Torah why should a person throw his life away for what, for when, for where it's not a logical argument But it touches a place that's deeper than love. I can't be unfaithful, even for a split second. It's not simply not enough. And this was the story of Hanukkah. The story of Hanukkah, that the Jew went, was ready to sacrifice his life, rather than worship idols. And so much so, they even went to war against the world's superpower. Completely illogical, completely irrational. And what were they fighting for? Their ability to worship God and to be Jewish. Which is why the whole emphasis of the Hanukkah, unlike the holiday of Purim. Purim we celebrate by eating and feasting. Hanukkah is primarily a spiritual holiday. We light a menorah. Although Hanukkah was also the miracle, a tremendous miracle, that a handful of guerrillas defeated the world's largest, most powerful army, almost with their bare hands, that was a tremendous miracle. And yet, the whole emphasis of Hanukkah is not the miracle of the war. The emphasis of Hanukkah is the lighting of the candle. Purim, Haman, wanted to annihilate us. Haman, the ancestor of today's Haman, Ammanajad, in Persia, and Iran, his goal was to annihilate us. Like he says openly, he needs a nuclear bomb so he can in one moment destroy every last Jew living in Israel. He says it openly, he says it clearly every time he opens his mouth. For some odd reason, Hitler also said openly and clearly what he meant. For some odd odd reason, um, people just don't take him seriously. And he can't say it openly, he can't say it any clearer. But, you know, it's like, oh, he doesn't mean it, he can't mean it. Yeah, sure, exactly. Like Hitler didn't mean in my camp, he meant everything he said and he said everything he meant. I mean, I don't know why it's so difficult for a Jew to understand that this, this anti Semite means what he says and says what he means. He's not playing games, not joking around. He has 80,000 missiles aimed at Israel today from every corner, from the Gaza, from Lebanon, from Syria, and these all Iranian, uh, under Iranian praxis. But for some odd reason, we just... Strange reason, no one takes him seriously. So Haman tried to physically destroy the Jewish people. That was his goal. That's what he lived for. That was his aim. He said it clearly. So how do we celebrate the holiday of Purim? We eat. We're festive. We have a festive meal. We we drink. Hanukkah, the mitzvah of Hanukkah. The accepted opinion is the mitzvah of Hanukkah is primarily the spiritual aspect. Lighting the menorah, celebrating the miracle of the candle, of the oil. Why don't we celebrate the miracle of the victory, the incredible military feat? In the annals of, of, of military history, this is one of the most incredible battles that a handful of guerrillas single-handedly brought down the world superpower. It's incredible. Why, why don't we celebrate and focus on the miracle of the battle, of the, of the military feat? And the answer is because Hanukkah wasn't about the destruction of the Jew. The Greeks, their intent was not to destroy the Jew physically, They admired the Jew. They admired the Jewish brilliance and the Jew's creativity. And that's why they didn't even destroy the oil. All they wanted was to destroy the Jewish soul. What they fought against was this holiness of the Jew. To them, seemingly super rational connection that a Jew has to God, to godliness, to holiness. They admired the Jewish brilliance and the Jewish mind and the Jewish creativity. But the Jewish holiness, the idea of purity and holiness, that they were against. They abolished the Shabbat. Scientifically, what's the difference between Shabbat and Monday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Suddenly, Shabbat is a holy day. It's not something you can take to the laboratory and test it. Why is it holy? They couldn't make peace with that. Sanctifying the new moon, sanctifying time, the whole idea of sanctity, they had no problem. You want to observe You want to do rituals. Rituals could be very nice. It's beautiful. Rituals are nice. Everyone needs rituals. But they were dead set against the holiness of the mitzvah. A Jew did a mitzvah not because it's a ritual. It's a custom. It's an experience. Mitzvah comes from the root word connection. Tsevet in Hebrew. You're doing a mitzvah. It's an experience. I'm connecting with God. When I light the menorah, I am on fire. My soul is on fire. It's not just a nice ritual and custom. Something real is taking place. When I study Torah, it's divine. It's not just playing a chess game, studying math, science, physics. There's something holy about the Torah. The Torah scrolls are holy. You're not allowed to bring a Torah or a holy book in in an unclean place. So they worship worship the body. They worship the surface. They worship beauty, external beauty. They, They admire the Jewish mind and the Jewish brain and the Jewish creativity but what they tried to contaminate and to extinguish was the Jewish soul. Take the oil and contaminate it. And this is what the Jew was fighting for. The Jew wasn't fighting for his life. The Greeks weren't after the Jews' life. They just tried to Hellenize them, to assimilate them, to get them to become Greek, Greek culture, to give up their Jewish way of life, their their, their stubborn connection to holiness and to godliness. This whole idea, notion, Eretz israel that Israel is a holy land. To them, that whole idea of holiness, land, has nothing to do with holiness. Land has to do with earthiness. Power, land, physical, tangible. The whole concept of holy land is a contradiction in terms. But this is what's uniquely Jewish. This is what the essence of the Jew is all about. That's why the Jew is compared to Oil. And Hanukkah is eight days, Shmona, also from the same root as the word oil, Shemen. Shmona, Shemen, comes from the word, it's like the essence, the essence, Shemen is the essence of everything, is oil. That's where you can find oil in everything. Today they're finding oil everything, from rock you can squeeze out oil, shale, you find oil in, 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 in uh, ethanol, you find oil in anything, everything, oil permeates everything in this world has oil in it. So on one hand, oil permeates everything. On the other hand, if you mix oil with water, oil will always rise to the top. Oil is separate. It's apart. It's a paradox. Just like the Jew. We're not like the Amish. We don't live in separation. We're engaged in every aspect of life. Yet at the same time, we're like the oil. We're a nation apart. Israel is a holy land. The Jewish people are a holy people. We have a holy Torah. We worship a holy God. Life is holy to us. There's something... Unique and paradoxical about the Jew. We're not like everyone else. And yet we affect everyone. And we engage and involve with everything and everyone, but, but we remain a holy people. It's this paradox, this oil that they try to contaminate, this essence of the Jew, the essence of holiness, this marriage that a Jew had to God. This is what they try to contaminate. contaminating that oil but there remain one jar even a Jew who assimilates and even a Jew so far out even the self-hating Jew deep down inside there always remains one jar of pure oil what we call the pintal the essence of the Jew a Jew is a Jew is a Jew deep down every Jew retains that holiness that spark which is sealed with the seal of the high priest. Because the high priest, the Rebbe, the holiest Jew, embodies this essence. The high priest was immersed in the temple. His whole being was holy. He represents how the Jew, by his very being, inherently, innately, the moment he's born, his essence, his body, everything about him, represents his whole being. bespeaks speaks holiness and godliness. And his marriage to God. Which is a total relationship, not just spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, but also physically. Every Jew is a walking miracle. When a Jew walks down the street, you're looking, you're looking in the mirror, you're looking at the world's greatest miracle. That this Jew has survived thirty, eight hundred years. And this is what the high priest embodied. So every Jew has that little jar, that little spark of holiness that remains intact. Even we don't have the freedom of choice to contaminate that place within us. Yes, we have choices. And we can choose to violate all 613 mitzvot. But deep down the Jew will always remain a. Jew. This is the sealed, the jar that's sealed with the whole seal of the high priest that remains holy and pure. And by tapping into that, we have the ability to reconnect. Hanukkah literally means dedication. They dedicated the temple because the Greeks desecrated the file of the temple. When they, when they won the war, they dedica- rededicated the temple and the altar. But the very first time that they dedicated the temple, and actually it's interesting, in the desert, the first time they dedicated the first temple, the tabernacle, the traveling tent, they were ready on Hanukkah, on the 25th day of Kislev. The day after Yom Kippur, Moses told them God has forgiven you on Yom Kippur. And then the next day he says, he's moving back in with you. Build a home and God will move back in with you. And they gathered all the material and they built everything. And they were done on the 25th day of Kislev. But they were waiting. They were waiting for a message from God. A month went by Tevez. Two months went by Shavuot. Adar. three months later God says okay now I'm ready for three months they were sitting all the material they were ready to go God says that in the future this day will become a holiday the 25th day of Kislev the day that Jewish people were ready to go ahead and build the tabernacle now I'm not ready but in the future this day will become Hanukkah the day that the Jewish people rededicated the temple it says when they dedicated the temple it says all the princes, the leaders of each tribe contributed to the the dedication it says Aaron, the high priest felt bad he says I did not contribute to the dedication I'm doing the service in the temple but I didn't contribute anything to to the dedication so God told him, he consoled him, he says don't worry your dedication is greater than their dedication. What's he referring to? So Nachmanides explains that God's consolation, his response to Aaron was, he's referring to the story of Hanukkah. Who were the heroes of Hanukkah? The Chashmanoyim were the priests and the high priests, the descendants of Aaron. So this, uh, God is telling Aaron, your children are going to rededicate the temple And they're going to introduce something that will be even greater than the dedication of the princes. Because the dedication of the princes, they dedicated the tabernacle. Which was the first and the beginning of all future temples. But what happened at the end? The temple was destroyed. For the last close to 2,000 years, we don't have a temple until Mashiach comes. So the candelabra, we no longer light the candelabra. We no longer do the service in the temple. He said, but as a result of Hanukkah, as a result of the miracle of your children, we are going to light the menorah. Even after the destruction of the temple, every Jew will get to light the menorah. And the candelabra in the temple had only seven branches, six in the center, seven candles the menorah that we light has eight seven represents time that's why we have seven days in the week and then we start all over again day one all there is is seven just like space so you have the six dimensions right? north, south, east, west up, down, and the center that's the seventh so time also You have the six days of the week, and the center of the week, that's Shabbos, that's the soul of the week. And then you start over again, day one, day two, day three, because time is seven. Eight represents something that's transcendent, that's beyond time. So the candelabra in the temple only had seven candles, seven lights. But the dedication that will come about through Aaron and his descendants, the miracle of Hanukkah, will bring about the lighting of eight candles. We have the ability, we're empowered to light eight, not seven, eight. The candelabra in the temple, they lit during the day. Some in the morning, and at night, in the evening, in the afternoon. And it remained lit all night. But when is the mitzvah to light the Hanukkah candles? So the so the candle that comes from Aaron and his children empowered us to light even the night. And and the candelabra in the temple was lit in the temple in a holy place. The menorah we were empowered to light even in time of exile. In the place of exile in the time of exile there is no temple. It's dark, it's cold and we're not even priests. And yet every Jew was empowered to light the Menorah, the Hanukkah Menorah. Not just physically to light the Menorah, to spiritually light up the darkness, light up the night. And not with one light, with seven lights, with eight lights. So Hashem is telling Aaron, consoling him, he says, your dedication that will come about through your children is far superior than the dedication that was brought about through the 12 princes, the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes. Because they dedicated the temple, which was limited in its effect. But you created something that's eternal. You're going to bring about a dedication that's going to bring an illumination that will illuminate, penetrate the darkness, and light up the darkness. And this is is the story of Hanukkah. That's why every Jew in the world fulfills the mitzvah of Hanukkah in the most beautiful way possible. Mahadrin mina Mahadrin. We don't find this in any other mitzvah. All other mitzvahs, you have the obligation, and then you have the beautification of the mitzvah. If you're more mystical and more spiritual and more religious and more intense, you do the mitzvah in a more beautiful way. You're so dedicated and devoted. But even that dedication and devotion is limited. But to be so dedicated and so devoted, a dedication that knows no limits that touches your very core and essence, that you're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. This is beyond any category. This is the beautification of the beautification. That's why we don't find this category in any other mitzvah. And that's why every Jew in the world fulfills the mitzvah in this way, in the most beautiful way possible. Because the differences between one Jew and the next are only on the surface, externally. One Jew does more mitzvot, another Jew does fewer mitzvah. One Jew does a mitzvah with more heart, with more soul, with more intensity, with more focus, dedication, love, passion, joy. And the other Jew, with less. But what is the one thing that all Jews share in common? A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. The deepest part, the Jew within us, the part that makes us Jewish. That marriage to God, that total selflessness, that dedication to God, that we're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, we're ready to give up our lives, and we're ready to do battle, which seems suicidal, to fight against, and they were fighting for their Jewishness, for their marriage and their holiness and their relationship to God. This dedication and devotion, which knows no limit, this all Jews share in common. There is no difference between one Jew and the next. The greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar, the simplest Jew, they all have it equally no one has it more no one has it less this is divine this is, there's no human fingerprints on this part within us the, the, the Jewish soul the part that makes us Jewish the Jew within us this, this is divine we're not called the choosing people we're called the chosen people it's not something that we chose it's something God gave us a piece of himself and every Jew has it equally and where is it demonstrated where was it most demonstrated so eloquently so clearly with such clarity and such brilliance, where did it shine forth in, during the miracle of Hanukkah, when the Jews were ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, fighting for their freedom, for the spiritual freedom, for their, for their Judaism, to be able to celebrate as Jews, and, to, and fighting for the sanctity of the Jewish people, fighting for the sanctity of the temple. And since they went out of their way, God also performed a miracle that was completely unnecessary. God performed a miracle, the miracle of the oil. Even though they could have lit the candelabra with the contaminated oil, God says, no, I want you to dedicate the temple in the purest way possible, in the holiest way possible, in the best way possible. And that's how we celebrate the holiday.